All right, see that? Biscotti's already? Awesome. How are you guys? Man, it's been a long time. I'm sure for you guys it's been like a, a blink or whatever that might be, but my goodness. Uh, I want to tell you a little bit about uh, what has happened. And some of you send me emails and say, where are you? Have you, like, been raptured or something? And... Uh, no, I'm sorry, I haven't been. I wish we all would be raptured as soon as possible, but we'll allow God to tarry in that. Well, about four months ago, I came to Skip and I said, Skip, I really feel like God is calling me to, to, to leave, to, to go out and to uh, do apologetics. And most of you know I do the Defending the Faith classes. Well, I did the Defending the Faith classes. Forgive me if I do that because I'm still kind of in transition. But... Uh, and he goes, well, that's cool, man. Just pray about it and just let me know what you want to do. And so I was praying about it, and I was going through some turmoil. You know how it is when God wants to move you on somewhere? You're going through that turmoil where you're freaking out, and you're saying, okay, Lord, do you want me to do this or do you want me to do that? Do you want me to stay? Do you want me to go? Well, what do you want me to do? This is my home. You know, I've been coming to Calvary of Albuquerque since 1984 and been uh, volunteering and been on staff and all kinds of things for, for years. And uh, it's difficult to think about leaving your home. But uh, it's really strange the way that God does things. So I'm getting all geared up to do this kind of thing. And I get invited to teach a Bible study in Santa Fe. And so not really knowing much about what was going on up there, I went up to Santa Fe and I taught a little group of people. It's probably 50 or 60 people that were there. And it felt really cool. You know, here's this little group of people and... Well, I come to find out that this is a, a group of people that had actually split off of the church in Calvary of Santa Fe. And they, they were looking for a pastor. Now, I'm not looking really for a gig at that point. I'm looking for apologetics and conferences and all that other kind of stuff. I'm just, hey, this is nice. You know, I'm helping out a friend. And uh, I get done teaching and, and God speaks to my heart and he says, uh, you need to be here. And I'm like, Here? I need to be where, God? Santa Fe. And I'm like, God, I don't like Santa Fe. <laughs> There's a lot of weird people in Santa Fe. That's why it's called the city different, right? And, uh, you know, I've walked around up there, uh, around the square and everything like that, and just seen all kinds of you know, golden opportunities. And as I started kind of mulling over this in my head, I thought, uh, wow, you know, that's, well, if this is what God wants, then maybe this is what, you know, I should do. That's some pretty good advice to give yourself. But you know how it is when you want to put that fleece out? You know, like in the Old Testament, they put a fleece out once. Okay, if the dew's on it, then it's your will. And the dew's on it, well, maybe God didn't get it right. Maybe if it's, you know, if it's dry now, then, well, they'll put the dew back on it. And let's, you know, whatever it might be. So I just kept going over my mind. And I was driving home, and I was just thinking to myself, okay, I'm going to tell my wife what I feel like the Lord is telling me. And uh, here we go. And I said, uh, I said, sweetie, you know, I really feel like God's calling us to Santa Fe. She said, okay. Man, what do we need to do? I was like, do you like Santa Fe? She goes, yeah, I love Santa Fe. Okay, all right. 
So I come back here to, to Albuquerque, and I tell Skip, I said, you know, I feel like the Lord's calling me to Santa Fe. He goes, really? I said, yeah. He said, uh, well, why don't you pray about it? And I guess he made some phone calls and talked to the pastor that was up in, in Santa Fe, Dave DeFuria, and uh, told him that, that I might be coming up to, to do some pastoring. And he said, that's great, that's fantastic. And I guess at that point, Dave and his wife and his family started to pray about what God wanted them to do. And it was a Tuesday here at Calvary, and it was the normal, typical day, you know, uh, 20 hours of counseling within an eight-hour time slot, you know. And uh, I see him come walking up, and I'm like, hey, man, it's going to be great. We're going to hang out in Santa Fe together. We're going to take Santa Fe for Christ and all this stuff. And he goes, yeah. And, and he walks into Skip's office. An hour later, I come walking out of my office. He comes walking back downstairs and says, Skip, I think he wants to talk to you. Skip comes walking out of his office with that look on his face like, have you ever seen that look before? Okay, I think you have. Uh, and he goes, can I talk to you for a minute? Now, I've known Skip for 20 years, and uh, when he says, can I talk to you for a minute, something's going on. So I'm thinking, oh, no. You know, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen now. And so we walk in there, and he goes, well, David DeFuria just resigned from Calvary of Santa Fe. And I went, Oh, it wasn't because of like me or anything, was it? I mean, man, that would make me feel really bad. He said, no, they prayed about it and just felt like God wanted them to move on. Do you want Fifth Street? And before I could even think, my mouth spoke. You know, it says, slow to speak. Didn't happen. Yes. I said yes. And uh, after I said yes, you know in the movies when, when someone like, recognizes or realizes something weird and the camera's kind of coming in on them but the background's moving out. Can you relate to that? I started thinking of all the things in a microcosm, kind of like, oh man. And then Skip tells me, well, you're in the pulpit on Sunday. This was Tuesday. <laughs> and so I'm like, uh, wow. Well, Lord, I don't know if you really want me up there, but we'll just see what happens. So we'll put the house on the market and we'll see what happens. Well, little did I know that there was, you know, there was some, some heavy things happening up in Santa Fe. And that when I got up there, it was uh, a lot heavier than I would ever expect in my whole life. And the beautiful thing was that in the midst of all the heaviness, I knew that God was with me and I knew that God had called me. But as we doubt and we go through those things in our minds, I can remember one morning my, my wife and I, we prayed and we said, Lord, if you want us in Santa Fe, give us a sign. I mean, how many signs does he have to give? I mean, he's already given it. I felt like a Pharisee at that point, you know, telling Jesus, you know, Jesus, show us, tell us who you are. And it's like John 8:58, he said he was I am. John 10, now you're still asking him who he is, right? And so we pray and ask, and that afternoon uh, we had two offers on our house. The next day it was sold. So it was like, okay, I guess you want me in Santa Fe. But you know what's, what's, what's really cool is that when God calls you, although in the beginning it seems to be something that's real freaky and kind of out of your element, when you get there, you realize the blessing that God had waiting for you, you know? And uh, that's where I'm at right now. With all the things that have gone on and there's some problems and all this stuff, I am so blessed uh, to be called uh, up to Santa Fe. And feel so blessed that now that I live there, I can walk over to the square and do apologetics. I mean, I never really thought that through. You know, everyone said, that's a good fit for you. And I'm thinking, why is everybody telling me that it's a good fit for me? 
Well, it's the city different. You know, I mean, I, I start writing down theological things just by the bumper stickers that are on the cars in Santa Fe. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You're driving down the street and there's all these bumper stickers and you're going, oh, man, what are these people thinking? <laughs> and so I've planned to kind of put a team together and we'll follow a card like into Smith's or something. <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> and we'll... uh when they get out, we'll just try to do like a little interview with them. We'll get a clipboard so we don't look like a bunch of freaks. But there's a bunch of freaks there anyway, so I don't know why that would make any difference. Uh, and ask them, you know, what does your bumper sticker mean? And just really start to minister. That's a dark city, man. It's a dark city. And uh, I praise God that I'm there. Well, let's get into our text. Romans chapter 4. Now that I've given you a little bit of intro, that's where I am. I'm in Santa Fe. And I'm at the church up there, and please don't call me. No, I'm kidding. What a blessing it is to have been raised in your spiritual life at a place like this. And, uh, man, I tell you, I took so much for granted at uh, Calvary of Albuquerque. And I'm not talking about the size of the building or the amount of people or the screens or whatever it might be. What I'm talking about is the caliber of ministers that Calvary of Albuquerque produces and has. Guys like Sebastian and, and Dave Rao and Neil Ortiz and, you know, Nelson, you guys are blessed. And uh, I'm sure a lot of you know that, but you guys are blessed. And there's this, wow. High caliber people. Well, let's pray. Father, We now that we get into your word, we ask that you would bless us, that you would fill our hearts with your love, your mercy. And Father, most of all, I pray for application in our lives, that this tonight wouldn't just be another Bible study, but that it would become something that is written in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, tonight I want to talk about two things, faithfulness and fruitfulness. I've been doing a, a series on Sunday mornings at Calvary Santa Fe, and it's really been blessing my life. It's kind of a back-to-the-basics type of series. And it's really been blessing me. And I just wanted to share that with you guys this evening. One of the focuses that I've been really focusing on in the studies is, is that we only grow in Christ when we glorify God. And we need to really think about that tonight. We only grow when we glorify God. You know, a lot of the time self gets in the way, doesn't it? But the way that we grow is that when we wake up in the morning, we say, God, how can I glorify you today? You see, once we get that focus of not focusing on self, but focusing completely on him, we're usable to the Lord. And so you wake up every day, God, how can I glorify you today? What is it that I can do? Can I get up and rake the leaves? Can I get up and take out the trash? Can I get up and feed the kids? Can I get up and do something in my own little sphere of influence? And then what about when I'm going to work, Lord? Can I glorify you as I drive to work? Or am I going to be like I am usually? Get out of the way! That's one good thing about Santa Fe. It's like everybody drives 30 miles an hour. So if you set your cruise control on 30 miles an hour, you can get all around town. You'll never go any faster than that. And everybody's always in the left lane. What's up with that? So you got, you know, whatever. 
Sorry, I'm venting right now, and that's, it feels very, very good. See, I can vent because I'm with you. Uh, if I do it up there, then people think I don't like them or whatever it might be. But the focus really is to have in your lives, take some spiritual inventory this evening. Are you increasing in righteousness and decreasing in unrighteousness? It's a good question, isn't it? Because a lot of us don't think that way. It's kind of like time... It goes so fast, doesn't it? And yet we need to stop and start to think about, am I more righteous today than I was yesterday? Now we're all at different places of our spiritual growth, but where are we? I think that if we can find out where we are, then that gives us a starting place of where we can go. Amen? All right. I like a little interaction. I don't know how, where that came from. I guess studying the faith teachers for 20 years has really made me uh, kind of charismatic. I don't know, but uh, bear with me with that. So let me ask you a question. We go through life with expectations, right? And a lot of times we expect God to do what we want God to do. God, I want to do this. God, I want to do apologetics. I just want to go out and do apologetics and have it cushy. I'm sending you to Santa Fe where there's a lot of problems. But God, I don't want to. What does God owe us? It's a good question. What does God owe us? Well, God owes us hell, ladies and gentlemen. That's what he owes all of us. He owes us damnation, separation from him for eternity. That's pretty sobering, isn't it? You may be sitting there going, wait a second. You know, he saved me. Yeah, we're saved. But that's what grace is all about. But ultimately, God owes us nothing. And again, if we can get that perspective and start thinking that way, God owes me nothing, but God wants to use me. He wants me to, to use me today to glorify Him so that somebody in my family, somebody at the workplace who's destined for hell may have the opportunity not to. You see, what I find is that we're so worried about what's going on inside the church that we've lost focus on what's going on outside of the church. And I think there's two things that we need to focus on in our lives that can help us achieve some of those goals. And the first thing is faith. Do you have faith in God? Well, people say that they have faith in God. I said that I had faith in God many times when I really didn't. But the Bible shows us people that had faith in some really heavy circumstances. And I think about my own life and think, man, I haven't been in many heavy circumstances. Compared to these guys, I've got the gravy train. And yet when we look at these people, we see they love God. They believe God. And what I want to instill in you this evening is that question, do you believe? Do you believe God? Do you believe God for your child who has leukemia? Do you believe God for the loved one who's about to pass away? Do you believe God for the move to Santa Fe, the house selling, whatever it might be? Do you believe you see, because if we don't believe, then our life is not going to glorify God. As we walk around in doubt with our heads held low, we don't glorify Him. In fact, 
unbelievers look at us and say, why would I want to be that? You guys don't have it any different than we do. And that is a tragedy. Let's look at verse 18 in Romans chapter 4. Paul is speaking to the Romans about Abraham. And he says this, Who contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body, although already dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Get this. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. Now, what's the circumstance? What's the scenario? God comes to Abraham, and he's almost 100 years old. And he says, Abraham, you're going to have a son with Sarah. And at first, Abraham laughs. You know, everyone says Sarah laughed, but Abraham was really the first one who laughed. Did you know that? He was the first one that said, surely I want you to, to Ishmael. It's about Ishmael, God. God said, no. You're going to have a son, Isaac. And it's going to be through Sarah. Now, can you imagine being Sarah, ladies? You're 98 years old and you're pregnant. You wake up in the morning. What's wrong, honey? I don't know. I've just got this weird... I must have eaten some weird lamb or something last night. I, 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 don't, I don't have a clue of what's going on. But you see, God revealed himself to Abraham. And I know for all of us, God has revealed himself to you. Those of us who are believers tonight. Because at one time or another, you accepted him. And God, through circumstances, and everybody has a great testimony as to what it was that God did in their lives but you had an encounter with God and you believed you had that childlike faith let me read that to you in the New Living Translation it says when God promised Abraham that he would become the father of many nations Abraham believed him and had also said your descendants will be as numerous as the stars even though such a promise seemed utterly impossible and Abraham's faith did not weaken even though he knew that he was too old to be a father at the age of 100 and that Sarah his wife had never been able to have children Abraham never wavered in believing God and God's promises. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this he brought glory to God. He was absolutely convinced that God was able to do anything he promised. And because of Abraham's faith, God declared him to be righteous. What we need to realize is that God is faithful. The Bible tells us that even when we're unfaithful, God is faithful. That Christ is faithful, because he cannot deny himself. God's going to do what he wants to do. Are we going to line up? Are we going to turn in the direction that God wants us to turn and walk in faith? Because all of us are going through something, and it's heavy. But are we going to walk in faith and not by sight? It's very important because, you see, it takes faith in the first place to be saved. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it tells us what? You're saved by grace through faith. It's a gift of God. It's not anything that you can work for. It's not anything that you can do. And yet oftentimes we're doing, 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 doing somehow to, to gain a favor with God. Even as a Christian, I found myself doing those very things. I'm doing this, I'm doing that, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. But it's not about doing. 
It's about soaking under the spout where the glory comes out, right? And that even means in the times of trial and tribulation. Turn with me to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. Look at verse 14 with me. Now you understand when in Ephesians, Paul is talking about what it means to be saved. James is now talking about the evidence of somebody who is saved. James isn't telling us what we should do to be saved. He's saying, this is the evidence that you are saved. And again, tonight we're going to take some spiritual inventory and ask ourselves if we have faith and if we're fruitful in our lives. Verse 14, what is the profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed, filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? And notice James' example. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac, his son, on the altar? Do you see that the faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? You see, you can say, I have faith. I have given my life to Jesus Christ. Where's the evidence? You see, as we glorify God and as the workings of Christ in our lives start to flow out of us, then people start to see who He is. You know that the world is watching, right? It took some of my family members 18 years for them to come to know Christ. I know you, Paul. You'll get over it. You're just on this Jesus kick. You'll get over it. It's, you know, eh. And uh, I never got over it. <laughs> It's been almost 20 years and I haven't gotten over it. But that's the point. Be fruitful in your life. Have faith in your life. And show people the faith that you have. Remember what faith is and what faith is not. Well, I've counseled here for many, many years. I know a lot of people. All among you. I know a lot of you. And I remember growing up here in the church. When I first came to church, I met Gino Geraci. And uh, you know Gino. Uh, I come walking out of a Walgreens with a, some chips and a Sprite and some guys lugging books, and I go over and help him. He goes, you saved. You guys know Gino, right? It's... Are you saved? And I go, yeah, I think so. You know, I got saved in my, my grandmother's apartment kind of one evening by myself. You need to go to a New Believers class. And actually, Gina was a springboard for me to do apologetics because I used to go to the bookstore all the time at Snow Heights and sit down with him and, and, and you know, go over all those things. But I used to see people in the congregation that really were spiritual. I mean, people that I looked up to, they were just, wow, they're glowing all the time. They've got the Shekinah of God all the time, you know, that kind of thing. And then I would counsel with them. And they were always the ones that would tell me, have faith, have faith, have faith. Don't worry about your circumstances. Have faith. Don't worry about your circumstances. But then in counseling, it was like, I hate God. God has done nothing good for me. I wanted this and I got nothing. 
Isn't it interesting that when we're counseling other people, it's, oh, it's about faith, it's about that. I want to be the counselor who's the example of what faithfulness is. That's what I want to be. I want to be the one that can say, follow me as I follow Christ. That's a tall order and it's a hard life to try to live, but that's what I want to achieve. I want to glorify God in all that I do so that there's opportunity for people to come to know him. Are you like this man? A man slipped over the edge of a cliff, and as he fell, he grabbed onto a branch growing from the side of the cliff. And his hands stated, started I'm sorry, to slip, and he called out, Is there anybody up there? Now you get the picture, right? Guy hanging over the cliff, hanging on to the branch. Yes, I'm here. Who's that? The Lord. Lord, help me. Do you trust me? I trust you completely. Good. Let go of the branch. What? I said let go. Is there anybody else up there? (laughs) Sounds like us, doesn't it? We're hanging on the branch. We want some help, but we want the help to come in the package that we want it to come in. You see... God often asks all of us when we're hanging on that cliff to let go. Because God is our Heavenly Father who loves us unconditionally and who will catch you. And I think of my two sons, you know, when we got bunk beds. That if you if you have boys, two boys, don't get bunk beds. Okay? You know, it's it's a jungle gym. That's really what it is to them. But I come walking in the room, Dad, catch me. Ah. I mean, they're just jumping off the top bunk, you know. <laughs> and now I've got stuff on my hand, I'm dropping stuff, and I'm trying to catch them and all that kind of stuff. But you know, that when, when they do stuff like that, I think to myself. And so when God kind of grabs a hold of my heart and says, that's the faith I want you to have. That's the faith I want you to have. When you got problems, Paul, how come you're burdened? I said my burden is light. I said the layer yoke upon me. You see, that is what's so awesome about being faithful because God gives us His measure of faith, ladies and gentlemen. You don't have to strive to be faithful. You just got to allow the Lord to emanate from you and through you. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 11 and take a look at some faithful people. So turn left. Let's take a look. We're going to kind of bounce around here, so bear with me. Hebrews 11.1 Now faith is a substance of things not seen. For For it is by this the elders obtain a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which were seen were not made of things which are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he being dead, still speaks. Do you realize that? Most of the people that I see in the Bible that were faithful, like Joseph, ended up in slavery, ended up in jail, ended up second to Pharaoh. 
You see, when we're going through those things in the midst of those trying times, when our faith is trying to be built, when God wants to build us up, we need to recognize that God is trying to build up my faith. God doesn't dangle the carrot in front of the horse's mouth and just walk around going, ha, 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 try to get it, try to get it. That's not God, is it? God loves you. Jesus suffered and died for you. That should be in in itself enough to build your faith. Look at verse 7. By faith Noah being divinely warned of things not yet seen. What things did he not yet see? Some scholars believe that they never even saw rain. This is before the flood. Noah, build a big boat. What's a boat? It's going to float on the water. What's water? I mean, up until this time, the earth had the expanse. It was a fertile place. He prepared the ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. Now, can you imagine building a boat for 120 years? You're getting all the wood. I mean, you've got to chop down all the trees. You've got to hew them all out. And you've got to build this big monstrosity. And you can imagine the jeers that Noah got every day. Hey, what you building over there, pal? Man, it's really taking you a long time. Of course, hey, uh, Noah, you got some room over there in that ark? Help. But you see, through all of that, what did Noah believe? Noah believed that whatever God's purpose was for that big monstrosity, that he was faithful to use it in the way that he wanted it to be used. 120 years. That's a long time to build something. Look at verse 13. This is the kicker. These all died in faith, listen to this, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. You see, they saw the future promises and they were still faithful. They didn't receive the reward and yet they were still faithful. And yet in our society, it's all about, hey, I've done this, God. I've gone to this study. I've gone to this study. I've done this, that, and the other thing. And now you're supposed to bless me. That's not the way that it works. God will bless you by bringing trial and tribulation into your life. Just what George Mueller said, he said, God delights to increase the faith of his children. We ought, instead of wanting no trials before victory, no exercise for patience, to be willing to take them from God's hand as a means. I say, and I say it deliberately, trials, obstacles, difficulties, and sometimes defeats are the very food of faith. And I would say a great big amen to that. Trials and tribulations are in your life because God loves you. He doesn't hate you. Don't hate Him for loving you. Don't be mad at God for loving you. Don't be angry at Him when you say, Lord, take my life. It's not mine. It was bought at a price. And then you say, well, I want this little section back. God says absolutely no. I won't give it back to you. 
because I love you too much. The second portion of this, of this teaching is fruitfulness. We talked about faithfulness and we looked at the faith of Abraham. Turn to John chapter 15. And let's talk about fruit. We've talked about faith. Now let's talk about fruitfulness. John 15:1 I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away and every branch that bears fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit You recognize that? You see how this kind of lines up with what we're talking about in faith? In order for you to produce more fruit God must prune you And that's what the trials do. They prune you. You see, it's not that God is saying, there's no fruit in your life. I'm just going to cut the branches off. No, God says, there is fruit in your life, and I'm going to prune you. It's going to hurt. But if I prune you, you'll bear much fruit. And look at what he says in verse 3. You already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. Notice that word abide. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Did you get that? You can do nothing apart from Christ. So then why is it that we so often try? Because somehow we think that by trying, it's going to help God, right? But I think about my life and I think about the things that I've told you this evening about Santa Fe and all this stuff. And, you know, God's always dropping things in my lap. I'm one of those painted in a corner type people, you know. Like I said, I'll put the fleece out this side, this side, this side, left, right, do, no, do, whatever it might be. God will paint me into a corner. But I think knowing that God's in my life and that God has his best and seeing as Abraham saw. God made him a promise and he had a son. And then God says, go kill your son. And you see, Abraham believing that God would raise his son from the dead, did it. Man, what a trial. From the time that God said to do it to the morning that he got up, the Bible is silent. And we've got to say, well, Abraham was human, right? What was going through his mind? Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. Notice verse 8, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. People know that you're Christ's disciples by the fruit that you bear not by the Bible that you carry, not by the little crest of the church that you go to. It's the fruitfulness. It's the fruit that you produce. Well, there's two kinds of fruit I want to talk about. The first fruit is fruit in action. You don't have to turn there, but in Romans 1.13, Paul says, Now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you but was hindered until now that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. Paul's desire was to get people saved, right? I mean, think about it. God calls you to go out into all the world. 
He says, Paul, I want you to go and preach the gospel. I want you to go and start churches. Paul goes and does it. Paul goes to Corinth. That'd be like going to Las Vegas and starting a church. Paul was bold. I mean, he walks into places and gets stoned. Now, I know that's kind of a weird saying today in our day, but he got rocks thrown at him, okay? Thank you. And he left him for dead. So, when we have fruit in action, fruit in action is leading people to Jesus Christ. I've challenged my church in Santa Fe, and we'll start a little, little race here, okay? I've challenged the people in Santa Fe to lead one person this year to Jesus Christ. Just one. And I challenge all of you. Lead one person this year to Jesus Christ. And the crowd that's in here this evening will be doubled. That sounds pretty cool, doesn't it? A lot more people to go out into, this, into our society. A lot more people to go out there and be heard. Lead one person. Now, I've had some people in Santa Fe already come to me and say, Hey, I've met my quota. <laughs> As if somehow I'm going to let them off the hook. You see, the problem is, if you lead one, lead as many as you can, okay? Lead as many as you can to the Lord this year. But for some people, that's very, very frightening. It's like, ooh, you know, i got to tell someone about Jesus. Open your mouth. Have faith. Be fruitful. The second is in Philippians chapter 4, and you can turn there with me. Philippians chapter 4. We're going to look at verse 13. Paul is writing to the Philippians and thanking them for the gifts that they've bestowed upon him. And in verse 13, he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What a great passage. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving but you only. So the Philippians are the givers, right? They're the people who are giving. For even in Thessalonica, you, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Now notice this. Verse 17, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound and am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma and an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. So the second thing that we can do, the second fruit in action that we can see is, is giving. Now, you know what we usually do? We usually wait until we find out that someone has this heavy need and then we run to their aid, right? I mean, at church, a lot of people, when they come here, by the time they come here, they're already wiped out. What I pray is that you have fruit in action, that you look around you at everybody who's here tonight, someone's hurting financially, spiritually, emotionally. So the second challenge is to get involved in what's going on here. Don't become a spectator here at Calvary of Albuquerque. Become involved. When you stand up and greet somebody, greet them again after the service. You got a coffee shop. Take them to the coffee shop. Buy them a cup of coffee. Ask the questions of how are you doing? How is your marriage? How is your life? How is your walk? That's fruit in action. If a millionaire gave a dime to a child, he would be giving out of his riches. But if he gave $100,000 to some worthy cause, he would be giving according to his riches. 
You see, Jesus, God gives us according to his riches, not out of his riches. And so action fruit produces that. David Livingstone said this, People talk of the sacrifice I have made in spending so much of my life in Africa. Can that be called a sacrifice which simply pays back a small part of the great debt we owe to God? Is anything a sacrifice when it brings its own blessed rewards in healthful activity, consciousness of doing good, peace of mind, and a bright hope of a glorious destiny hereafter? Away with such a thought. It's not sacrifice. It's a privilege. He's got it right. And I often find that when we're in the, the worst circumstances that we could be in our lives, those are the greatest triumphs that we could ever have. And finally, in Hebrews 13, 15, you don't have to turn there. It says, Therefore, by him, let us continually offer for the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. The, sec- the third action fruit that we have is giving praise to God. Now, I've noticed something about some Calvaries, and I, I don't believe that's true with this one, but I've seen that a lot of people show up after the worship. You know what I'm saying? They've come for the teaching. But you know that worship, the songs, and nah, and raising your hands, that's, that's not for me. How can you be obedient and faithful to the Lord unless you worship Him? You see, the third evidence of fruit in action is the fruit of your lips. Bringing praises, opening your heart to God so that God could use you to glorify Him. The second is faith and attitude. Dwight L. Moody said it, True character is what we are when nobody's looking in the secret chambers of the heart. Ouch. That's the truth. So let's put ourselves to the test. Turn to Galatians chapter 5. Let's look at verse 19. It's important that we have the attitude fruit because if we don't have the attitude fruit, just the action, it's really worthless. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revivalries, and the like which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice, underline that, such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So we're having a fruit inspection test right now. You're you're inspecting your own fruit. Right? We're called to be fruit inspectors. Skip says that very often. Look at verse 22. I love the but, because it means we have a choice. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. You see, action fruit without attitude fruit is legalism. Do you remember Jesus said, some will come to me on that day and say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? That's a work, right? 
done miracles in your name, many wonders in your name. And what does Jesus say to them? Be gone from me, you workers of iniquity. I've never known you. But Lord, I went to Calvary. I, I put money in that the box, that, that, that agape box thing. I volunteered on Sunday. I shook Skip's hand. I mean, you figure something's going to rub off, right? But God is concerned about your attitude and your heart. You see, when we look around and get our eyes off of ourselves and get our eyes focused on Jesus, then God uses us and we glorify Him. Billy Sunday said, One reason sin flourishes is that it is treated as a cream puff instead of a rattlesnake. Oh, I'll get over it. I'll get over it. Deal with your sin. Confess your sin to God. Keep short accounts with God. In John 13, 35, Jesus said, By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So it's not how good you are in evangelism. It's how you love, right? It's not that you use the gifts that you have. Because if you use the gifts and you have not love, what are you? Let's look at what Paul says. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Turn left. That's what I love about Calvary churches. You know, you can turn anywhere and people are just, you can hear those pages. Sounds really cool. Look at 1 Corinthians 13 with me. Notice the action without the attitude in what Paul says. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. You notice all those actions? Those are some pretty noble things to do. If I've got all these gifts, if I counsel you, if I do this, if I do that, if I do this, if I do that, if I don't have the attitude of love, what am I? Nothing. Because it's love that's going to keep somebody and it's love that's going to win them over. Look at verse 8. I mean, I'm sorry. Look at verse 4. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, it is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never fails. You see, if you love God, you'll have faith in God. And if you have faith in God, then you'll love your neighbor as yourself. And as you love your neighbor as yourself, more and more people will come to know Jesus. And this year you'll say, God has given me the privilege of seeing ten people come to know Jesus. It's because of the love that we have. Well, how can I love when I don't understand what God's doing in my life? You can trust that. Whatever He's doing, it's going to be for His glory and for your good. Isn't that what Romans 8.28 says to us? But you see, that has become the cliche that everybody memorizes, right? God works all things together for the good to those who are called, you know, love God and call according to His purpose. 
That's a nice saying, but it, I need reality. Well, that is reality. Whatever he's doing in your life tonight, get out of his way. If you've taken spiritual inventory and you've looked at your fruitfulness and you've seen that the first section of Galatians 5 is more you than the second section, ask God to help you tonight. Get that sin out of your life. Be used by Him. We've got a short time, don't we? And there's a lot of people that are just waiting for someone to tell them. You know, I worked in Santa Fe for three and a half years as a stone cutter. Interesting job. I mean, it's so interesting how God kind of brings everything full circle, you know. But I was working up there, and there was a Buddhist, and there was a Tibetan Buddhist, and there was a Hindu, and there was a guy from India, and there was an atheist, and I was just the Catholic kind of hippie, you know. As long as you had good dope, I'd listen to your philosophy. I didn't care, right? Smoke that with me, and I'll listen to you, bro. And... uh you know, it's crazy when you think about it. But there were two Christians that were always damning me to hell. I'd be smoking a cigarette. You know, it's going to give you cancer. I'll smoke it some more. Smoke it some dope. You're going to go to hell for that. I'll smoke it. Thank you. you know, I believe... That if back then these two gentlemen, if they would have came to me and said, God loves you. That I would have had no problem giving my life to Jesus. No problem at all. It didn't take a lot for me to get saved. You know, I was a skeptic and all that kind of stuff. But I became skeptical after I became saved. <laughs> it's kind of the reverse. I wasn't going, well, what about the Bible? And, and I, don't, I don't know if I can believe in the Trinity or any of that kind of stuff. It was kind of like, okay, God. I found out I wasn't right with Him. You see, my faith taught me you do, you do, you do, you do, you do. You go sit in a box and tell somebody your sins and then you go do and do and do and you go do those things and hey, you're right with God. You see, I didn't know I wasn't right with God until someone shared with me in First John where it says, God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. And I was just like blown away and I couldn't get rid of that scripture. Trying to get it out of my mind, trying to get it out of my mind, trying to get it out of my mind. And so finally I just said, Lord, I give. I'm not right with you. I need to be right with you. You see, all it would have taken from these two gentlemen was to show me the love of Jesus. Not the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments came to show me the way to Christ. And so let's make sure that we have action fruit, but that it is accompanied with attitude fruit. C.S. Lewis said every Christian would agree that a man's spiritual health is exactly proportional to his love for God. Let me read that again to you. Every Christian would agree that a man's spiritual health is exactly proportional to his love for God. Are you spiritually unhealthy this evening? Check your love for God. God owns you. And we may live 70, 80, 90, 100 years. But the moment that we breathe our last and close our eyes is the moment we wake up in heaven. A place where there will be no pain. There will be no suffering. There will be no tears. There will be no CNN. There will be no Iraq or Middle East conflict. Think about this. 
when we get to heaven, what are we going to do? Worship God for eternity. If you're having a hard time worshiping Him now, how boring is it going to be when you get to heaven? Let's worship Him with everything that we have. Let me close with this. Amy Carmichael said this, If I belittle those who I am called to serve, talk of their weak points and contrast perhaps with what I think are my strong points. If I adopt a superior attitude forgetting who made you different, and what do you have that you haven't received? Then I know nothing of Calvary love. If I take offense easily, if I am content to continue in a cool unfriendliness, though friendship be possible, then I know nothing of Calvary love. If I feel bitterly towards those who condemn me, as it seems to me unjustly, forgetting that if they knew me as I know myself, they would condemn me much more than I know nothing of Calvary love. If there are broken relationships here this evening, God can put it back together. You just need to let them. If you're saying, I can't get back with my wife, I can't get back with my husband, oh, yes, you can. Because I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. But it's so hard. If she would only, if he would only. No, God's going to require you to do it. Where's the fruit? Where's the love, husbands? Where's the love for your wives? Are you leading them spiritually? Are you listening to them? God gave them the ability to speak. And we want them to get to the point. They want to get to the point. Why don't you let them? You may have animosity towards a brother or sister here tonight. Reconcile. Well, I don't know if you... Well, it doesn't matter what he or she wants to do. It matters what God asks you to do tonight. Be faithful be fruitful this evening. Father, we thank you that you don't leave us alone, but that you're with us. We thank you that you saved us. Father, I pray for all of us that we would heed to your word this evening, that ultimately, Lord, we would love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourself. Mend broken families. Heal the sick among us this evening. Give us the faith of Abraham, Lord. And some of you may have come this evening just to see what church is all about. And you've heard about all these great things about leading people to Christ and not knowing that you're, you're wrong with Christ. That's all it took for me. And so I want to give you that same opportunity. Jesus loves you. He died on the cross for you to set you free. He doesn't want to give you hell this evening. He wants to give you heaven. He wants you to come into the family of God and know Him and have a personal relationship with Him. Because you see, without that personal relationship, you'll never have the attitude fruit. You may have the action fruit, but you need the attitude fruit. And if you want to give your life to Christ this evening... Would you raise your hand up? Just raise it up and say, Paul, I want to give my life to Christ. Thank you, Lord. Keep it up. Keep it up so I can pray for you.
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Come home. Some of you might be fighting in your heart saying, I can't do this. I'm too bad. Come just as you are. We're all just as bad as you. The only difference is we're saved by grace. We raised our hand. We said the prayer. We believed the message. You can put your hands down. Now those of you who raise your hand, pray this prayer in your heart. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. Forgive me. Make me right with you. I make you my Lord this evening. Come into my heart. Fill me with your spirit. Give me your gifts. Give me the ability to walk with you. In Jesus' name.